Okay, let's read um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Um, Paul and his team, Silvanus and uh, Timothy, writing to the Thessalonian church. This is the first letter uh, to this young church, which was the first. These were the first um, disciples in uh, Europe. This was, this was the, f- the first reaching of the gospel into this area, which is modern-day Greece and uh, maybe close to Turkey. Um, f- Paul starts out, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments or instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no person, no man transgress and defraud his brother or sister in the matter. Because the Lord is the avenger in, these, in all these matters. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity but in sanctification. Consequently, the one who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brothers and sisters who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to excel still more again. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Okay, what is all that about? Well, in most of Paul's letters uh, to the churches, towards the end, he almost always urges the followers of Christ to live godly lives. He gets to a place where now there are these practical exhortations and he urges them to live a godly life. The whole Bible, in fact, urges people to acquire knowledge when it's applied and to, when it results in righteous living. God doesn't actually seem to care that we just fill our heads with knowledge. In fact, he speaks against that. Just to know things, lots and lots and lots, he seems to speak against that and say, no, acquire knowledge and get wisdom, how to apply the knowledge, and get knowledge that results in righteous living. He starts, Paul starts this passage saying, finally then, brothers and sisters, which is kind of like, and I used this illustration earlier, the letters are almost like hearing one half of a phone conversation. Some Times when I'll hear Rose talking on the phone, I know exactly what she's talking about by the things I'm hearing her say. I really don't even need to hear the other half because what she's saying, it's like, okay, I know who she's talking to and what that's about. But other times, it's a little tougher to pick up, right? We've all had that. This is like being on the phone and like Paul saying, now listen, before I go, I got a couple of important things I want to tell you. 
That's why he starts this. He says he's he's started this whole um, letter saying, you know, how thankful he is that the gospel came the way it did with power and conviction that it resulted in these Thessalonian people being converted and then it tra- it, the gospel has transformed their lives so that they've gone out and lived exemplary lives and they've spread the gospel to other places and Paul's very thankful about it. Then he talks more about how, he, how much he cares for these people and he tells them at the end of chapter 2... Um, He says, live lives worthy of the God who has called you. Live worthy lives, lives that are worthy of him, no less than God himself. And then he carries on and he talks about the the word of God, the gospel, is performing. It's doing a work inside of them. Again, transforming them, changing them. And then chapter 3 that we went over last week, he talks a lot about how much he cares about these disciples. And Paul is expressing, I think, reflecting the very heart of God, the Father heart for these believers, telling them just how valuable they are to him. And he's saying, we longed with a strong yearning to see your faces. And I asked the question, do you know anybody that talks to you that way? Like, just a man, I'm so looking forward to seeing you. Does anybody talk that way? Um... I'm not going to go. Okay, I was going to say something. I'm going to leave it alone. Thank you, Dwayne, for that. I, <laughs> uh, he's speaking this thing, reflecting the heart of God. Now he gets to this point, and he says, finally then, before I go, i got a couple things to say to you. Some of this, I think, had to do with questions the Thessalonian church was, uh, the, that the that the people of this church were asking Paul, tell us about these things, because they were new believers, they were really fresh in the faith, and the second letter of Thessalonians, he wrote right away afterward, because they had questions about the faith. He brought the gospel, they had a great start, but now it's like, how does this work, and what do we think about this? And and even this letter is not... uh, a deep theological treatise the way Romans is or Hebrews or that kind of thing. So here's, here's Paul. He's saying this to them, all of these things. He brings them up to speed and now he says, I've got a few things I want to say to you before I go. And it's like now, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you, he says in this first verse, in the Lord Jesus, to live in order to please God or walk. And the, the, the word walk is used all through the New Testament, in fact, the Old Testament too. And it's, it's a good word in terms of conduct because it points to steady progress. It, it doesn't even just say, you know, race to what, no, walk, steady progress, one foot in front of the other, keep going, keep going keep going. I just was reading uh, uh, Psalm 1 this last week where it says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't conduct yourself according to the counsel of the wicked. Walk. Don't walk it out. Don't don't walk that walk. And here's Paul saying, walk. uh, You already received instruction from us about how you ought to walk and please God. 
You know that that's an important thing. And he says here, we instructed you about it. And he says, clearly they're already doing it. He says, just as you actually do walk, it's evident. The people from Macedonia said, you guys are an example already to them. So he says, we instructed you. It's clear. It's evident that you've been doing it. And then he says this phrase, but we urge you to excel still more. You might be an, an exemplary follower of Christ, but there's more. Don't, there's never a point where, oh, I've exhausted it all. I've exhausted all of the, you know, sort of boundaries that are out there. No, even Paul at the end of his life, close to, very close to the end of his life, exemplary believer. And he said to the Philippian church, he said, I haven't yet attained. He knew there was still more. I'm stretching forward for the prize. I'm stretching toward the goal for the prize. There, it wasn't over. So he tells them here, we are urging you to do this more and more. Live pleasing to God. There's a process. And he said, that's why he uses the word walk, rever- referring to that steady progress, that process. The gospel and the kingdom are not reserved just for elites or the strongest, or the smartest, or the people with the most talent. No, for people who've set their minds, their hearts, on pleasing God and steady progress. No, I stumbled, I fell on my face, I'm going again. You know, I've said it before, I I love that Peter says at the end of uh, John chapter 6, when Jesus says, when when they tell Jesus, all these people are leaving because you talked about eating your flesh, drinking your blood, they're leaving, and Jesus says to Peter, do you guys want to go too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. I, I feel like I relate to Peter in that regard that so many times it's like, yeah, I fall on my face. Yeah, I put my foot in my mouth. As shocking as that is for you to believe, I'm sure. But all of that, and yet when I've messed up, it's like, where else am I going to go? I cannot go back. And so, God, I'm, here I am again. And I know I've said this before. And here's Paul saying this to these people. I'm urging you to excel more. I'm urging you to go forward. I'm urging you that the kingdom is for you. For you common people who yielded your hearts to Christ. You weren't just the bright, brightest and best and that. And, you know, hey, some may have been, but it doesn't matter. God's the great leveler. In him, keep going forward. One step after the other. One foot in front of the other. Keep going, keep going, keep going. A walk, steady progress. Excel still more. There's more, there's more, there's more. Amen? You had a great day. God did something wonderful in your life. There's more. You know, something wonderful happened. Elijah is on the mountain. He sees all these 400 prophets of Baal. You know, the amazing thing. And the fire comes down, cleans up his sacrifice when the other guys were cutting themselves and doing all of their, you know, cultic kind of baloney. And nothing's happening. And he sees that great victory. And they wipe out the prophets of Baal in the land. But it's not over. 
That's just the beginning. Then he flees for his life, and God's got more, he's got more, he's got more. He could have stopped and said, man, Mount Carmel, the thing that God did there, that's, I'm going to go out on a high note, you know. It's like, nope, there's more. Excel still more. Tell somebody next to you, excel still more. Tell them, please God and do it more and more. Amen. There's more. And this word, excel still more. We've already seen this word. Last week we read uh, chapter 3, and I want to read the last three verses of chapter 3. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow. That's the same word. Increase and excel. And those two words can be translated this way. Increase and overflow in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. He says this. May the Lord cause you to abound and superabound. That's what those words mean. To increase and overflow. There's, there's no limits. God's inexhaustible. God's boundless. He's infinite. He's, he's got more. If you st- stretch out and God blesses you incredibly like no person ever on earth, there's still going to be more. He's, gonna, he's got more to give you. He's got more that he's going to do. That's the God that we serve, okay? There's more. There's always more. Okay, now he says here, you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk. Twice in this passage that we're reading, he talks about this instruction and these commandments. In the next verse, he says, you know what commandments or instruction we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Commentators say that that is almost like military authority and instruction. They were commanded. It wasn't given as a a casual suggestion, hey, you might want to live a life that's pleasing to God and where he's taking this. He says, it's not just, "Mm, you could, it is incumbent upon us as followers of Christ to live lives that please God. That has to be our goal. That has to be our goal. We please him, we please him first. That's that's where things land. And it's, it's like a military command, like a commander saying, we're going to take that hill. It's not are you sure that's a great idea? <laughs> you, know, like, you don't have that option. He's, Paul said, we instructed you with authority to live these lives pleasing to God. And then he continues on. He says this. Um, these, these commands have been given to these Christ followers because the will of God is your sanctification. And the will of God is non-negotiable. The will of God He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. What is that word? Your sanctification. We just saw at the end of chapter 3, when when we read that, that you increase and abound in love for one another, for all men, just as you do, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Sanctification is the process that ends in holiness. And as followers of Christ, we're called saints. That's Saint Dwayne right there. Saint Kim. Saint Risha. Saint Ian. That's what it means. Saint means sanctified one. Set apart. 
for the purpose of God. Yeah. I'm going to put a little statue of Cherise on the dashboard of the car. (laughs) Yeah, I'm no kidding. We're saints. As soon as we yield our hearts to Christ, we are set apart for holy purposes. That's what it is to be sanctified. It means consecrated or set apart for holy purposes. That's a saint next to you. Go ahead and look at him in the eye. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? It's true. Yeah. The will of God is your sanctification. That's good news. The will of God is that you be made holy. Good and blessed and fulfilling and desirable is the will of God. And Paul tells us God's will for you, for us, is sanctification. I don't know if that sounds like fun. Does sanctification sound like fun? How many know in the world, it sounds like, oh, that's boring. To have fun, you've got to act like the devil. Wrong. <laughs> that is wrong. Sanctification is the process that begins when we receive Jesus in which the old ways and old habits are done away with and they're replaced with new ones. And I like them. I like new ones where it's like I don't have to be ashamed about what I did and what I said. New ways that replace the old ones that are, and these new ones are in keeping with the holy one that we live for. And they're in keeping with the holy one who lives in us. Paul goes there in a second. He talks about God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit. Not just the spirit of power, not just the spirit of, you know, some other, but the Holy Spirit. He is holy. He puts his Holy Spirit in us. So much of the New Testament is taken up with instruction about this process of sanctification. We're encouraged to do these things again and again, to be made holy. This process, this walk, this progress toward the goal of being holy, being set apart for holy purposes. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says uh, this. Um, Oh, sorry, that's Peter. Um, It says this. Pursue peace with all people and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, that should put the fear of God in us. Without sanctification, we won't see the Lord. First uh, Peter 1 Peter 1.15 uh, and 16 says, Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Not just, oh, in my mind, I'm, you know, uh, thinking holy thoughts. No, in all my behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's God talking that way, saying that. You'll be holy because I'm holy. I like this. Listen to this one. Romans chapter 12. This was a little more subtle. Uh, Romans chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. That literally means don't be pressed into the mold of this world. Don't be pressed into it. Don't let this world shape you according to its way, 
But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's, that's God's desire for us, is for us to be transformed into his likeness. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. The Thessalonian church existed in the Roman Empire in the first century. And I look around at some of where our culture has gone, and I think, oh, man, it's immoral. There's a lot of immorality. You know, the social media is just full of, you know, stuff that is just a minefield. And, you know, that, that's, there's so much like that, you know. Somebody drives by in a car, sometimes a little car that's, you know, that feeling. They go by and you hear that, even from inside the house. And from all you can hear from inside the house is that bass and the F word. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's there. Um, it, our culture has some shortcomings. Amen? Anybody else notice it? Now, you're looking at me like, what a prude. No, has anybody else noticed any of this? Please. In the first century in Roman Empire, and under, understanding this, that in the, the part that was... Uh, uh, Greece was the worst, that it was like our day. It was very indulgent. They, the Roman Empire, they say, at least some of the reason it crumbled and collapsed was because it was rotten. From the inside, it rotted. And there's, there's, yeah, true debauchery. It's like these things happened, and they were very indulgent, and that's where Paul takes this. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That could be left right there. But he, right here, emphasizes this, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then he goes on a tear for a few minutes in that direction, Why? Because that's the only thing we need to be sanctified from? No, of course not. He could have stopped. He could have added, you know, materialism and greed. He could have just said all kinds of, you know, personal uh, weaknesses, outbursts of anger like he does in Galatians when he talks about the the fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh. He could have done that, you know, talked about conflict and unforgiveness and vengeance and all these kind of things. But in this particular place, which makes it likely that that was a problem specifically there. And apparently it was the case that it was that sexual immorality, like in our day, was just sort of that's just the way it is. That's good. If you, if you have a Christian view of how that ought to be, sex in the confines of the marriage of one man and one woman, what a prude. What a, you're so closed-minded. But that's the Christian view. That's the scriptural view. And God doesn't ever, and the followers of Christ will never true followers of Christ, change their standards to match those of the culture on that kind of thing. If we do it, we're done for. And there are 
there are people doing it. Trying to merge what can't be merged. Trying to, you know, fit what can't be fit together. Our culture, our surrounding culture, looks at what we believe and they say, that won't fly. That doesn't work. It has always been countercultural to live like a believer in some area or other, and this area in particular. Always. Uh-oh. Can, can we actually talk about this in church? Okay. I'll do my best to be tasteful and sensitive, like I always have. <laughs> That's not funny. That's <laughs> the Bible has a lot to say about sex and sexual morality and sexual immorality. It doesn't shy away from examples of sin in that area and the problems and the pain that arose because of sin in that area. The Bible's got stories some I hate. Every time I get to some of those stories in the Old Testament where certain things happened, it's like, I hate this story. I'll read it and I sort of hope for a different outcome. That, you know, oh, I misunderstood this. It sounded like something really terrible happened, but when you understand what the Hebrew wording was, it's actually really nice. No, some of it's bad, and God doesn't mind showing even the faults of some of the people we look at as champions, amen? That kind of thing, he's, he's willing to do that. He's willing to do that for our benefit. It says in uh, Hebrews uh, 12 that that's for our benefit, our encouragement, those scriptures, those stories. That's, so God doesn't shy away from it. To be clear, God is not only... He, he doesn't just shy... No, he doesn't shy away from that, but he's also very much for sex. Okay, there, I said it in church. Okay, that's going to be the title of this sermon. Online, God is for sex. No, okay, that won't be. He created it. Listen, God thought it up and he created us with the capacity to enjoy it. Yeah, God created us with the capacity for this. It's God's idea. Right now, some of you are silently praying, God hit him with a lightning bolt. Take that guy out. Okay, why? Why is it something from God created for humanity, a great blessing? Why is it such a problem then in the world? Because it is. It's like it, it seems to sort of ascend or descend, as it were, to the, the top of the heap in terms of challenging, troubling issues. Why is it like that? Because it's so important and it's so special. Love, intimacy, procreation. It's so important that the fallenness of this world, sin, the sinfulness of mankind, and the devil himself want to turn that to, they want to corrupt it. Of all the things that could be used as a weapon 
That's where the enemy wants to turn things. Because he knows how, how much destruction and how much pain sin in that particular area causes. And we don't have to look around the world with human trafficking and the exploitation of prostitution and pornography and all of these kinds of things. You, you know, they're everywhere in our culture. There's horrible, horrible things. Outside the context of marriage between one man and one woman, outside that, this powerful blessing from God, gift from God, brings destruction and pain. And he says here things like this. Each of you know how to possess your own vessel, your own body in sanctification and honor. Honor. Not in lustful passion. Those two words together, lustful passion, they're, they're very similar. And what it means basically is, it doesn't just mean someone gets uh, the passive side of lust where it's like, it's there for me to entertain if I want. It means someone has surrendered to those kind of desires, those passions. That's what that means. Like, he says, like the Gentiles who do not know God. What that means, again, doesn't mean people who never have heard of God. It means people who have willfully rebelled against him. We're going to live our own lives, again, like our culture. I'm going to pursue this. You're a prude for not wanting to live the way that I do. That kind of a thought? No. They, they, they reject what God says about this area in particular. Right? Our culture is in that place. The fallenness of the world, it's there. And this area gets... More and more and more challenging. Our generation, like so many before it, will pay a high price for rebelling against the will of God regarding morality, regarding sexual morality. Our culture is sinking, is sinking partly because of this very area. And Paul talks about this. He says this, verse 6. Don't let anyone transgress and defraud their brother or sister in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. There's something about disregarding the personhood and the value of another person in this area for someone's simple gratification. And God is honorable and holy and doesn't see that way. That's why so many people need to be healed because they gave themselves and it was just trampled, not valued the way God looks and says, no, this is, this is some special aspect of your person that is reserved for something very special. Okay, Paul summarizes all of this saying God hasn't called us for for impurity but rather in sanctification. Third time he says that here. He's getting the point across. And I think as much as it seems maybe a little uncomfortable to just hit this over and over and so hard, Paul does it here, I think, again, because it's one of those 
areas that is so uh, ubiquitous. It's everywhere Im- impacting people's lives. Everywhere the world over. And so it needs to be hit. And we need to know again that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to honor one another in this area and others and to honor God in this. It's like this is God places such a high value here that he doesn't want us dishonoring him or one another, devaluing uh, one another or the very, um, uh, how can I say it kind of clinically, the, the very gift or the gift that he gave. He doesn't want us to dishonor him by just, you know, using that gift for ourselves. So, you know this, he says, Paul says to the, these people. He says, you already know this. Consequently, verse 8, he says in uh, rejecting this reality is not rejecting some human thing. It's re- a rejection of God, the same God who gives you his Holy Spirit. It's very personal. God's given his Holy Spirit to you. you this is not something to to just disregard. And I hope that even saying this, even with, you know, it being the kind of thing we don't often talk about in church, that it'll help just to, you know, establish us firmly again that, hey, wait, no, you know what? That's the word of God. He says... You reject this, you're not rejecting man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. I don't want to reject God or dishonor him. Okay, and the last little piece of this. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have this great sigh of relief. Oh, he's off it. As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brothers and sisters who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to excel still more. Okay, I'm going to just stop it there. Now we're on to something really nice. Oh, love. Yeah, we can enjoy that. Okay, wait. Is this a completely new thought? He's going on about this. Abstain from sexual immorality. God's called you to sanctification. Now, as to the love of the brethren, that sounds like, what, are you just changed topics? No, here's the thing. One, he's writing a letter in response to some questions. So probably it was like, oh yeah, here's another thing. It is... uh, a different thought, new paragraph sort of, but connected. This still has to do with sanctification. This still has to do with living lives pleasing to God. It's, this is still part of excelling more and more pleasing God. He says this. Uh, um, he reminds them. Oh, wrong page, sorry. He reminds them. That God has already taught them about this. They've been taught by God himself. They know this is right. You know inside you the necessity and the rightness of brotherly love. That's the word that's used here. Not the word agape that means love for all people and in every circumstance. This one's speaking specifically for a moment to people in the body of Christ. You yourselves are taught by God to love. That's 
Phileo, or the word Philadelphia is that comes from that. This word brotherly love for one another. That's right and good in the body of Christ. And we need to act on it. He says the truth is yours from God. God's made this known to you. And you do live this way, verse 10. But excel still more. Don't settle. Oh, we've been doing that. It's kind of a loving church. I would say we have a loving church. Somewhat. Even if it was a hundred times better than it is now, there's more. There's more. Let me ask it. Show of hands. Have there been any times in the church, say in the last year, that you feel you could have done something as an expression of love to somebody, you could have done something more for somebody in the church? Anybody? Yeah, of course. Of course. There's always more. There's always more. We can, and why not? I had the thought one time, just to know we can excel when there's opportunity to give something good, to do something good. Why do we sometimes hold back and not do it? I had the thought one morning, um, Rose and I were getting ready. I think I was going to take her to work. And she got ready for work. And I, this, is, this was kind of weird. I mean, I, I try to tell Rose that I think she looks really beautiful. You know, she gets rigged. Does it, you know, I'll try to remember to say it. But I had this thought. I thought, oh, she looks great. And then, but I didn't say anything. I thought, why? Why would I hold it in when, like, okay, well, that's a nice thought that I would think she looks great, but why didn't I say it, knowing that it would be an encouragement to her? Why would I hold that in? And that's just a small example of those kind of things happen a million times, where some little thing, and oh, I could have done this. I could have called that person, or I could have done some little thing. It isn't always those great things. It could could have been some small little thing, and then for whatever reason... You know, oh, no, I'm too busy. No, not likely. Or I'm whatever. I'm embarrassed or I don't want to, you know. You know, but think about that next time it happens. Think, oh, I remember him saying that. And now I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to take some small little step. We can be more loving. Excel still more. I urge you to excel more and more and more. That kind of thing. Abound and superabound in love for one another and for all people. That same word again. Over and above. Let's do it. And this is part of living holy lives that are increasingly more pleasing to God. To do this. Two sides of holiness or sanctification. One is he starts here saying abstain from something that's bad, that's unrighteous. But then the other side is we're not holy by just not doing bad things. We do good things, right? We do righteous things. He's saying don't just not do that, do this. There's something good because sometimes I think I I. I do focus too much on avoid this. Oh, I'm okay because I avoided doing this, but I I haven't done anything positive. I just haven't crossed over into this negative thing. Well, let's do something positive, amen? 
let's cross over into there. And the, and the thing that he talks about, it seems like it should be, you know, an obvious love one another. It's just that sometimes it's hard to love people, right? <laughs> Is it just me? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. You know? <laughs> No, it's sometimes because you know and I know that sometimes people, you know, they're not always lovable. <laughs> Has anybody found that? <laughs> you know, yeah, they're not always lovable. So on the one hand, abstain from something, certain behavior. On the other hand, do something. Being sanctified, living holy lives is both. So let's do that. Let's Let's make it our aim, as he says here at the beginning. He says, instruct you we, to walk and please God. Make it, you know, make it your aim to excel still more. Make it your aim. We urge you. Keep making it your aim to live an increasingly more sanctified, pure, love-filled life that pleases God. And ask God to give you the grace to do it. Amen? The grace to stay away from, uh, to abstain from what's unrighteous, and the grace to do what is right, what's right and good, and we want to do both. Amen? I want to be right with God and pleasing to God. 